Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters. Please do have a seat. And please, could you keep your Bibles open on that page? Uh, if you've lost it, it's page 1076. Page 1076. And uh, in the bulletin you received as you came in, uh, the white bulletin, in the center page, there is a sermon outline uh, that might help be helpful. So you can see the big picture of where we're going in the sermon. Uh, but uh, most importantly, your Bible's open, page 1076. Uh, and uh, if you've got that, we're going to be looking at John 16 uh, from the second half of verse 4 onwards. Well, let me lead us in. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have brought us uh, to the beginning of a new week. And Father, as we um, uh, look back on the, on the week that's gone, uh, uh, we come to you, Lord, knowing this, uh, just terrible things that have happened uh, over, this, over this past week. Uh, we pray for all the people who have uh, been injured and people who have lost loved ones, uh, particularly in, the, in those incidences in, in Christchurch. Uh, Father, we pray for your comfort and your healing for them. Uh, and Father, we, uh, uh, we pray uh, for the day uh, when Jesus will return uh, and sin and evil and terrorism and all these things uh, will be things of the past. Um, so help us, we pray, uh, to keep on trusting you uh, in the meantime. Uh, and we pray that you help us now uh, as we look at your word together. Uh, we pray that you speak to us by your spirit through this word. Uh, we know this word is your spirit's word that, that he has given to us. Um, and we pray uh, that he will empower me to, to preach it clearly and in his strength, uh, and that he would open each of our hearts uh, to hear, uh, to believe, to trust in Jesus the who is revealed here, um, and, to, uh, uh, and, and to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we commit this time to you, and we ask you, please work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the useful things about Lent can be having a special time to examine our hearts to see if we are truly trusting in Jesus. But sometimes it's hard to trust someone when we can't see him. Now we know that Jesus has died for our sins, that he's risen again as Lord, that he's ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, the place of all authority in the world, but wouldn't it be better to have Jesus physically present with us instead? Wouldn't it be great if instead of being in heaven, he had his throne in Jerusalem and he can travel there every Sunday to different churches around the world? All right, you wouldn't have to put up with my preaching because we can get a satellite sermon uh, from Jerusalem or whichever church he's in and it gets broadcast all over the world, put a big screen here, we just project it on the screen. Right, and there's your sermon for this week. And, uh, and you can put the subtitles in whatever language uh, you want. And if we have any questions uh, about church or about doctrine, well, we can have a, uh, a web form. Right? You put the questions in the form uh, and then send to him. Right? Uh, of course, if there's you know, two billion people asking questions, it might, might take a while to get it back. But you, you can read all the answers to all the questions uh, being put out. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? And not to evangelize because people can read about Jesus for themselves from the, from the newspaper uh, or you go on Facebook and people, you know, there'll be reporters who write, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, and there'll be opinion pieces and, and quotes and just put it up on, the, on Facebook and uh, people will know. 
That would be the best way to get the gospel out, wouldn't it? And for us as Christians to, to grow to know him better. Wouldn't that be great? Or would it? Well, before we see the answer to that question from our passage, let me remind us where we're up to in our series through the Gospel of John. This is the night before Jesus is killed. He's about to die, and then he will be raised and ascend to the Father. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, he said all kinds of things to his disciples to prepare them for the time when he will no longer be with them physically. He's warned them about his death, comforted them in their sorrow. He's reminded them to keep on trusting him and to love one another. And in the passage we read last week, he warned them that the, that the world would hate them. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's helping them to get ready for what's going to happen after Good Friday and Easter Sunday and Ascension Day. And so while we usually read this passage at Pentecost where it's fulfilled, it's also pertinent to read it in Lent as part of the preparation. So how does he prepare his disciples at this point? Well, he starts this section by reminding them that he's already warned them of his departure. He says from the second half of verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, when I first read this, I thought that he was saying that he was surprised that no one's asking him where he's going. Right? But actually, when you think about it, both Thomas and Peter actually asked him that exact question. So what does he mean? Well, remembering there's no punctuation in the original, all right, look at the passage again. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Why don't they ask? They ask because they know where he's going. He's already told them. In 1428, very clearly, I am going to the Father. Right? And so verse 5 simply means this. Now I am going to the Father, not like before. Now I'm going to the Father, and I, you all know that. I already told you plainly, so you're not asking anymore, where are you going? They're not asking, where are you going? But they are still sad. They know he's going to the Father, and yet they're still sad. Verse 6, he says, but I said these things because, but because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The disciples were sad because even though Jesus was going to the Father, they don't want Jesus to leave them. And we can understand that, can't we? But actually, Jesus says to them, it's better that I go. It's better for you that I leave you and go back to the Father, then stay with you physically. Because if I go to the Father, you'll receive something even better than my bodily presence with you. Have a look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. 
Now, this word translated helper here uh, is the Greek word parakletos. It's very difficult to translate. There's no one-to-one -one correlation with any English word, right? So if you read all different translations, you have a, you, you'll see a different translation, right? ESV has helper, uh, and that is good. Uh, as long as you realize that in the Bible, uh, as ought to be the case in life, helper doesn't carry a, a sense of inferiority. Uh, you could translate it advocate. It would make some of our lawyer friends happy, uh, but it's not limited to, to a legal setting. Uh, you could translate it counselor, although the meaning is more towards the legal counsel kind of side than a counselor to do counseling, if, the kind of counseling we kind of normally associate the word counseling with nowadays. Right? Sometimes, because there's just no English word for it, we just anglicize the Greek word and say paraclete. But the main idea is someone who comes alongside, helps you uh, uh, when needed. Now, who is this helper? Well, Jesus actually already explained beforehand who this helper is. Uh, look back with me up the page uh, in verse 26 of chapter 15. He says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of Truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, or if you go back to chapter 14, uh, verses 16 and 17, he says, I will ask the Father, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. And he says, at the end of 17, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Some people try to identify the helper with whoever their religious leader is. But this helper cannot be another human being, can he? This helper is the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, it is better for me to go away to the Father, because unless I go, then the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send the helper to you. You see, friends, even though the disciples didn't really understand everything that's going on. God had everything planned out. God's plan was that Jesus would have to die for our sins and rise again. And then he would be exalted to God's right hand on high. And then and only then he would be able to pour out his spirit on the disciples. That was the plan. And if Jesus were not to go, if he were not to die for our sins, if he were not to be raised and then exalted, he wouldn't be able to send the spirit. And they think, look, it's better to let God's plan take shape even though it's painful and scary, even though it's painful and scary, than to have Jesus' physical presence and to miss out on the work of the Spirit. And that's, that's like that in our lives too, isn't it? Sometimes God's plan is, is painful and scary, but God knows what He's doing. He's fulfilling His plans and His purposes. We've got to trust Him. Now, there are two aspects to the Spirit's work uh, that Jesus spells out here. There's the work of conviction, and there's a work of revelation. Right? Let's think about this work of conviction. Uh, Jesus has just told his disciples that the world hates him because they hate the Father. Right? And actually, they were wrong to reject Jesus. Now, when the Helper comes, Jesus says in verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. To convict the world means to, to show the world that they are guilty. And the Spirit will convict them of sin, in verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Right? That was their biggest sin. 
that the Spirit would show that the world was wrong to reject Jesus. For the pouring out of the Spirit would show that Jesus really has been exalted. And so six weeks later, when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter would preach Christ and the people would be cut to the heart and they would say, what shall we do? We've crucified him, but the Lord has, God has made him Lord and Christ because the Spirit showed that they were guilty, that they had rejected Jesus and their rejection of Jesus is a rejection of God. He convicted them of sin. Now, the Spirit would also convict them of righteousness. The Spirit will show that Jesus is indeed righteous because the sending of the Spirit would prove that the, uh, that the reason, uh, verse 10, that they see Him no longer is because He has gone to the Father. And again, six weeks later, when the day of Pentecost will come, Peter will preach that Jesus would have been exalted to the Father as written in the Old Testament and was pouring out the Spirit to show that He is indeed Lord in Christ. The world had, was about to crucify Him as a fraud, but God would raise Him from the dead, vindicating Him as the righteous one. The Spirit would convict them of righteousness. And then Jesus said He would convict the world, verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And in a few hours, the world would judge Jesus and condemn him. But the Spirit would show that actually this event was the defeat of the ruler of the world, the evil power that stands behind the, the world, the system, the, the establishment. He, and this evil one would be defeated at the cross. And the risen Jesus would be exalted far above all rule and authority and power. And the day would come, and it's still coming, when Jesus will come again and bring that ruler of the world and all who follow him to their final judgment. And so six weeks later on the day of Pentecost, Peter would urge his hearers to save themselves from a crooked generation, an evil people, our nation. So friends, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit has done this work of convicting already. The world has been proven guilty. Jesus has been vindicated. The ruler of the world has been condemned. But on another level, the Spirit continues to do a similar work. You see, before you and I believed in Jesus, we were rejecting Him. How did you come to realize the guilt of your rejection? How did you come to see that you were wrong in dismissing Him? Is it because you were so smart that you worked it out yourself? No, 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 no. It's only because the Spirit was at work. He worked objectively in the events of the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. He spoke about these events in the words of Scripture. He worked through various messengers who brought that message to you. And he worked in your heart to enable you to believe. He brought you to the point where you knew that you were guilty of failing to live under Christ as Lord. And you needed to do something about it. The Spirit convicted you of sin. And he convicted you of righteousness. Yes, he worked objectively in the events of the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. He spoke about these events in the Scriptures. He worked through various messengers to get that message to you. And he worked in your heart to enable you to believe it. 
He brought you to the point where you knew that Christ is indeed righteous and good and true and deserves to be worshipped as Lord and God. So the Spirit convicted you of righteousness. And he convicted you of judgment. He worked objectively in the events of the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. He, he spoke about these events in the Scriptures. He worked through various messengers to get it to you. And he worked in your heart to enable you to believe them. He brought you to the point where you knew that the ruler of this world is judged and all the forces opposing to Jesus were facing his eternal fury and you knew you didn't want to be part of that. Spirit convicted you of judgment. Brothers and sisters, be thankful for the work of the Spirit in your heart. And if anyone here has not yet been convicted of sin and righteousness or judgment, then that I pray that the Spirit will convict you as well. For it's only when we realize the depth of our guilt and who we are up against by not submitting to Jesus that we will come to Him and cling to Him and appreciate the wonderful salvation that He brings to us by His death in our place. And that, my friends, is the work of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Well, the second work of the Spirit here that Jesus speaks about is the work of revelation. Work of revelation. And Jesus said, look, there are many other things I want to tell you, but I'm going to leave it to the Helper to do that. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Now, these verses are often misunderstood uh, and misquoted. Right? When the Episcopal Church in the USA decided to bless same-sex marriages, they said the Spirit of Truth was leading them into all the truth. But the Spirit was also leading other people to loudly condemn their actions as unbiblical. So how does that work? Well, don't forget, we've got to read these verses in context. Who is Jesus talking to? Well, Jesus is talking to those first disciples on the night before he died. These are the people we know as the apostles. Now, Jesus is very careful to distinguish when he's talking to them and when he's talking about all of us, right? When he's talking about all of us, he uses phrases like, he who believes in me and if anyone loves me, things like that. When he says you, he's usually talking to his disciples. And oftentimes there's secondary application for us, but first and foremost, he's talking to them. And here again, he's talking to these apostles. And he's saying these apostles will be guided by the Spirit into all the truth. He is guaranteeing that they will get it right because the Spirit would guide them into all the truth. Jesus will be gone physically. He still hasn't finished teaching them. But it's okay. The Spirit will continue. The Spirit, verse 13, would not speak from his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. In other words, he will tell them what the Father and the Son want them to know. He will speak to them and explain the Father and the Son. In fact, he says he, would, he, will, he will declare to you the things that are to come. What are the things that are about to come? Well, it's Jesus' death and resurrection, isn't it? 
He will glorify the Son, verse 14, by taking what is mine and declaring to you. And what is it that belongs to Jesus, verse 15? All that the Father has is mine, he says. Everything about the Father. The Spirit will speak to them about the Son. He will enable them to comprehend the Son. And as he reveals the Son, he'll be revealing the Father because everything the Father has is shared with the Son. And so the Spirit would give them the Son and therefore the Father. Now, if this promise is for the apostles, what about us? How do we benefit from this? If the Spirit reveals the Son and therefore the Father to them, how, how does that revelation help us? Well, the apostles were the ones responsible for the writing of the New Testament, isn't it? The New Testament is the ongoing apostolic witness to the risen Christ. Just like the Old Testament, words of pro the words of, of the prophets, the Spirit works through them. Uh, and, we have the, and we have the Old Testament. The Spirit works through the apostles and we have the new. And so this is not just the words of men, it's the word of the Spirit. The Spirit led them into all the truth, just as Jesus promised, and we have that here. These are the words of revelation. These are the precious words of life which we have access to today. Words from the Spirit that show us the Son and therefore give us the Father. And so when we read the Word of God as Christians, we're not just reading as a letter from someone who wrote a long time ago or an email from someone who's far away. No, no, because you know why? The Spirit is also in us. And He continues to speak to us in this Word the truths that He spoke through the apostles so long ago. And He continues to work in our hearts so that we can respond to this Word in faith and obedience. And in doing so, He brings us to Christ and therefore to the Father. That is the Spirit's work of revelation to the apostles. So friends, would it be good to have Jesus physically present with us? Well, of course it would be, wouldn't it? It'd be wonderful. We could watch him on CNN, read about him in the Star, see posts about him on social media. Maybe he even come to Malaysia every few years. We could all go to the stadium in Bukit Jalil, right, and have a big rally, and we could all see him, catch a little glimpse of him at the front. Maybe he could teach us something about himself as he reveals the Father. And if we're really blessed, we might even be able to say hello to him for a few seconds and, and shake his hand as he, as, he, uh, as he goes past. That'll be pretty good, wouldn't it? Except that without the Spirit, it wouldn't be because, well, you and I wouldn't be believers, would we? We wouldn't have been convicted of, of sin and righteousness and judgment. We, we would still be of the world, hating him. And facing his condemnation at the end. Now that, that actually wouldn't be so good for you and me. And without the Spirit, we, we wouldn't have the Bible. We wouldn't have the Spirit's revelation of Jesus in the New Testament. And we would have to rely on something less reliable than God's written word to hear about Jesus. We rely on journalists writing in the newspaper or posting in social media. You know how unreliable that is? Who knows if we really have the right Jesus? And if we have the wrong Jesus, we have no access to the Father. 
And would we really want to have intimate fellowship with Jesus for the very most just a few seconds in our life? No, 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 no. Jesus was actually right. It's much better that he went and sent the Spirit. The Spirit convicted the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He has convicted us and brought us to bow before Jesus. The Spirit led the disciples to all the truth and given us his word through them so that we can know Jesus truly and reliably and meet him truly as we read his word with our own eyes or hear it with our own ears. And we can meet Jesus every day in the words of Scripture that the Spirit has given us. That's far more trustworthy than any social media. And that same Spirit who gave us these words unpacks that truth as he applies it to our hearts. And remember, if the Spirit is with us, then Jesus is with us by his Spirit. Not physically, but by his Spirit. He is with us. He really is. And if Jesus is with us, then the Father is with us. We have an intimate relationship with God the Father and with the Lord Jesus because of the Spirit. And so by the Spirit, Jesus is with us, each one of us who trusts in him, not just for a few seconds in our lives, but, but all the time, day by day, moment by moment. Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure by showing them why it's actually better for him to go. And as we prepare for Good Friday and Easter, we do this with this reminder that because Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, we have now been given the Spirit. Jesus was right. He always is. It is better that he went. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has died for our sins, that he's risen again, that he's ascended into heaven. Thank you that he prepared his disciples for his departure by, by promising them that he would give them the Spirit. And thank you for giving us your Spirit as well. Thank you that he has convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Thank you that he has given us your word and continues to speak through it even today. Please help us to be ever grateful for his work among us and to truly appreciate his presence with us. Presence of the Spirit that gives us your Son and therefore yourself. And as we consider the state of our own hearts this Lenten season, we pray for any among us who have not yet come to a true and meaningful faith in Christ crucified. Please may your spirit move powerfully among us, convicting each one of us here of sin and pointing us to the Savior that each one of us may truly believe 
and believing may have life in his name. We know that we cannot manufacture this. This is your spirit's work. And so we ask and beg you to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.